Oh, Amma! Language warning! Very adult content ahead. What troubles you, my child? Hello, sinners. Welcome to Confession Booth, where just by listening, you get to absolve your deepest, darkest, most disgusting, embarrassing, and surprisingly heartfelt secrets. I'm A.H. Cayley, and I'm co-creator and host of Confession Booth. We've been running as a live event for the last three years, and over that time, we've heard some pretty unbelievable confessions, and I'm so, so excited to finally get to share them with you. So... You may know our first guest as a poised and professional newsreader and journalist, but there's a lot more to Tracy Spicer than you might think, maybe even a little too much. Last year, I confessed to being a vain fool in front of about a million people. That's how I started my TED Talk, in which I deconstructed the beauty myth by stripping away the layers of artifice. Tonight, I plan to perform a similar striptease, Not of the seven veils, but of the seven deadly sins. Let us begin with the original sin, luxuria, also known as lechery or lust. This is a sin which harks back to the year 4000 BC, or in my case, the early 1980s. (laughs) They say lust is born of an unmet need for God, but I've always found it to be an unmet need for cock. Call me crazy. My first? Let's call him Harry. On top, he was all sharp and spiky. Down below, all hard and shiny. You guessed it, he was my hairbrush. Oh, the nights of unbridled passion in my bedroom. Walls plastered with adamant, Rick Springfield and Leif Garrett. Soon, however, the cold, hard plastic was not enough. I moved on to the warm, soft flesh of Eamon. Fair of skin and Irish of eye, Eamon was the son of strict Catholics. This, I confess, proved to be a stumbling block after the events of the 14th of September 1983. We were pashing in the back seat of my 1965 Toyota Corolla when I reached down to give, as the French say, pignolette or in the Australian vernacular, a hand job. (laughs) Soon a sensation of warmth suffused my hand. Success, I thought, a job well done. (laughs) But then I looked into his lap to see a rather large wet spot, not so much a stain of semen as a bath of blood. One of my fingernails had nicked his foreskin. I stared at my red right hand, silently screaming, Out, damn spot! (laughs) Loudly screaming, Eamon ran to his parents' house where he uttered the immortal words, Mum, I'm bleeding to death from my dick. Get me to a hospital. (laughs) I confess... This was not the ideal start to my journey of sexual discovery. (laughs) The next day, Mr and Mrs O'Sullivan paid a visit to Mr and Mrs Spicer. (laughs) Your daughter has damaged our son's penis, Mrs O'Sullivan said, hand-shaking, and he may never produce a child. It seemed my sin was akin to douching with holy water or defiling the host of the Eucharist. (laughs) 
However, this incident set me on a veritable road to Damascus. That is if Damascus is a place where you get a lot of really awesome sex. (laughs) Over the next 15 years, I succumbed to lust in all of its forms, including but not confined to sex with a man known as Banana Dick because I wanted to know if it really did reach the G-spot. It did. An encounter with a chap called Donkey, which almost rent me asunder. (laughs) And dalliances with two women, the first of whom said, as I was down under, "Uh, you've never done this before, have you? (laughs) I confess, I am a failed lesbian. But I've always been gluttonous for new experiences. I suspect it comes from the stultifying atmosphere growing up in the Joe Bjocchi Peterson era in Queensland. <laughs> anyway, that's my excuse for, in no particular order, sneaking into my best friend's pantry to steal her mum's Valium. They don't call it mother's little helper for nothing. <laughs> Eating a death lily at a nightclub in Fortitude Valley because, like climbing Mount Everest, it was there. Smoking so much marijuana while backpacking in Asia, I was confined to quarters to eat my body weight in Doritos. (laughs) I subsequently discovered they had the death penalty for such behaviour. The drugs, not the Doritos. I confess I'm one of those people who cannot have one drink. I must have all the drinks. (laughs) Until tonight, I have never admitted this because of pride. After all, a television newsreader must be perfectly poised, immaculately groomed and above reproach. Even our turds must look like chocolate eclairs. (laughs) Which is why I've never talked about the time I breached the Broadcasting Authority's Code of Decency. Let's go back, way back, to the 11th of June 1991. Wearing shoulder pads so sharp they could take an eye out... I was the star presenter at a little-known TV station called GLV8, informing the good burgers of Gippsland of all the news pertaining to crops and stock. I'll never forget the first ad I saw on television there. It was about a new piece of farm equipment that, quote, makes cow handling a pleasure. (laughs) I bet it does. One night I thought I'd spice things up by telling a joke to the weather presenter during a particularly long package about crop dusting. To this day, I do not remember the joke, but I do remember the punchline, fuck them all, because this was broadcast to 100,000 viewers across the region. Apparently, the audio director got her sleeve caught in the fader. The fact that I was sleeping with her ex-boyfriend, I'm sure, had nothing to do with it. See lust above. Funnily enough, we only got three phone calls. Two were from guys saying, geez, we thought she was a stuck-up city girl, but she's not a bad bird after all. (laughs) The third complaint was serious, and I was taken off air. I guess I've always been envious of my colleagues who seem to be able to watch their P's and Q's a little better than I can. Amongst those media princesses, I feel like a bit of a bogan. Actually, the newsreader I replaced in Brisbane 20 years ago was from the landed gentry. I later discovered she'd spread a a rumour that I have fuck me hard tattooed on my posterior. (laughs) 
If she'd asked, I would have dropped my dax to show her the tiny tat of a yin-yang symbol I have on my hip. At the age of 19, in an exemplary display of role modelling, I took my then 16-year-old sister, who is here tonight, I have to say. <laughs> Go, Susie! To get some ink. I, stood on, I sat on a stool next to a hulking bald man with a full-body canvas. He was having a final flash of colour applied to his neck. If you fucking faint on me, you're dead, he said. The next thing I knew, I was flat on my back on the floor, a fan blowing in my face, the lumbering lunk leering over me, laughing. I knew she'd faint, easiest 20 bucks I've ever made. <laughs> For decades, I lived with what looked like a prison chat on my tush until dropping my pride and my strides to finish it off in Darlinghurst. Unfinished business is somewhat of a theme in my life. Although I appear to be a busy working mum, scratch the surface to find a sloth. Instead of supervising the children doing their homework, I can be found trawling snark on Twitter. Instead of cooking a delicious family meal with all the food groups represented, I give the kids sharp knives and say, bloody well, do it yourselves. <laughs> And David Marr, instead of writing 6,000-word essays for the monthly, my preferred length is 600 words of guff straight from the gut. Because I am greedy. I want as much money as possible for the least amount of work. <laughs> and I am lazy, except when it comes to my favourite sin, wrath. I may be a bleeding-heart, small-l liberal who spends much of her time doing work in the developing world, but do not cross me because I will fucking go you. <laughs> you can take the girl out of Redcliffe, but you can't take the Redcliffe out of the girl. I'd love to give you some examples. However, I confess, I've lost count of the number of people I've unleashed upon. As someone once told me, you do not lose your temper, you find your temper. <laughs> when I took a TV network to court for discrimination, I did so to give a voice to every other woman who's been screwed over in the workplace. <laughs> but I also did so because I was angry and I wanted to smite the fuckers to hell. <laughs> The last veil I will begrudgingly remove tonight is vanity. My TED talk exposed how unrealistic expectations of a woman's appearance, especially in the workplace, erode productivity and self-esteem. I had hoped to live the rest of my life au naturel. Enter vanity. After too many comments from viewers like, gee, you look tired, are you feeling sick? For God's sake, put some makeup on, will you? I came to a compromise. A slash of lipstick here, some straightening irons there, and a little pinch of plucking after my daughter said, Mum, what's that poking out of your chin? You look like a walrus. <laughs> Vanity is indeed a curse. So forgive me, for I have sinned, repeatedly, publicly and joyously. Thank you for listening to my true confessions. No, thank you, Tracy Spicer. Repeatedly, publicly and joyously. I mean, that's the way to do it, right? And that's definitely the way we love it here. That performance was recorded at Giant Dwarf. That's all the dirty, dark secrets we've got for this week. But up next time, 
actor, writer, director and man about town, Brendan Cowell, gets a lot off his chest. I was nowhere to be seen and she is dead now. And remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud and your favourite podcasting app. I'm A.H. Cayley. I'll see you next time. <laughs>